Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. We, we, we all are captivated by stories, if we were to be honest. Every single one of us, whether it's a book you enjoy, a novel that you enjoy reading, or whether it's maybe you just enjoy reading history and you like the story of history, or maybe you enjoy watching different shows or movies, we're all captivated by stories. And, and it's because within stories, we find characters that we connect with. We see growth and development. And within those characters, sometimes we even see ourselves within the characters. And I know that a lot of us here today, we're struggling or attempting or trying to be like Jesus. And we may not all be like Jesus in regards to showing compassion or showing forgiveness all the time or showing love. Maybe you are. Maybe you're doing all of those things. Good for you. You're amazing. But while we may not all always be like Jesus in regards to showing compassion and forgiveness and love and kindness and truth and all of those things, I would say that every single one of us is like Jesus in our love for stories. Jesus was actually a master storyteller. He was great at it. He, he told many stories. They were called parables. And the parables that he told 2,000 years ago still speak so clearly today to the human experience. They still speak so clearly today to things that you and I struggle with. They speak so clearly to the things that we deal with in our everyday lives. While they, while they are happening in a setting 2,000 years ago, they're still very powerful today, and they speak to who each and every one of us is and how we exist and how we connect with those around us. Jesus was a master storyteller. And within these parables, as in the words of Dallas Willard, you've probably heard me say this before, Jesus was not trying to mandate thought, he was trying to stimulate thought. Because that's what a good story does. It gets you thinking, you start to wonder, you start to, you start to ask questions about yourself or maybe even those that you encounter or interact with or maybe even questions about your relationship with God. And that's what Jesus did so masterfully with his stories in these parables. And so this week, we're going to focus on maybe Jesus' most famous parable, maybe. It's the prodigal son. The good Samaritan's up there as well. But this week, we're going to be talking about the prodigal son. And within this story, we see betrayal, we see forgiveness, we see restoration, we see jealousy, we, 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 see, we see basically three main characters, a rebellious son, a religious son, and a running father. And within each of these characters, there's something that can connect, I believe, to each and every one of us today, wherever it is that you happen to be joining us from. Within this rebellious son, this religious son, and this running father, there are elements of each of these characters that can speak to each and every one of us today. What we will find this week and in the weeks to come is that these parables truly are life-changing stories. They aren't just stories that Jesus happened to tell 2,000 years ago to have an audience. They have life-changing messages within them and behind them. And so today for the prodigal son, I want us to jump in first to talking about this rebellious son. The rebellious son. Why is he rebellious? Well, he's the younger son. And in this parable, this story that Jesus is telling, this, this rebellious son, this younger son comes to his father and he says, hey, dad, I want you to give me my share of the estate. I'm done. I, I, would you just give it to me? I'm ready to move on with my life. Which in this time period was, would have been him basically looking at his dad and saying, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. I want what you would give me if you were dead. I want my inheritance now. I want it early. I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm gone. 
I've had enough. And since he was the younger son, he would have been entitled probably to about one-third of the estate. And so the father, based off of the context of this time period, had every reason to completely embarrass his son for this request. He could have beat him. He could have, he could have cast him out from his home. Some people in this context 2,000 years ago would have even contended that the father had the right to kill his son for such a request. That's how serious this was. But we already begin to see this running father, this interesting father, begin to behave uncharacteristically for the setting of this time. Because when the son comes to the father and says, Dad, just give me my inheritance early. I want to move on with my life. The response of the father is truly stunning. Look at this in Luke chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Some translations say that he lost everything. He spent it all. He took an inheritance that it most likely took his father a lifetime to accumulate. And within a very short period of time, it was all gone. It was done. He thought that he was ready for independence. He thought that he was ready to live life on his own. And he wanted all of the gifts without being connected to the giver. He wanted all of the benefits without being connected to the one who made those things available to him. And so he goes on this journey, he squanders everything that his father gave him. It's gone. And so he decides to start working. And he begins working, and while he's working, a famine, Jesus says, strikes the land. And so he's working, and he's working with pigs. And because there's a famine in the land, the food of the pigs begins to look appealing to this younger son. He begins to think, oh, I I could just eat the food of the pigs. Imagine what a low place he had to be in to feel such shame and guilt and disgrace that he would think the food of the pigs looks appealing. Now, while I I doubt anybody here or anybody on our online family has been at a spot where they went to their parents and said, hey, give me my share of the estate, and then you leave, and then you squander everything, I doubt that that's your story, but I'm sure that some of us may be in here today or watching online, you might be at a place right now where you've made such dark decisions or you've made a series of decisions that have wound you up in a place where you feel a lot of shame and guilt and regret. And you're not literally looking at the food of pigs as this son was, but metaphorically speaking, you're in a low place and you're saying, how did I get to this spot where I feel as if I'm less than human? How did I get to this spot where where the living situation of animals looks to be appealing to me? Because that's where this younger son found himself. Some of us have allowed our decisions to take us to such a space that if our closest friends and family knew where we truly were and knew the decisions that we were truly making, we don't even know how we would come to terms with them knowing because the shame and the guilt and the potential disgrace that is associated with such decisions is weighing us down. It's serious. It's heavy. And when you're in a moment like that or you're in a place like that, and darkness has surrounded you, but you realize you're in this 
place of darkness because of decisions that you have made? What can you possibly do? Where can you possibly go? And that's where this son finds himself. He comes to a realization that in this place, he can either make a decision to end his life or choose to find life again. And so he decides, I'm going to search for life. I'm going to try to to get back to where I once was. And he thinks back to his father, the one who gave him the estate. And he starts coming up with this plan and he thinks, maybe if I return to my father and I say, dad, listen, I messed up. I made some bad decisions. I squandered everything, it's all gone. I, I, I messed up, dad. Maybe my dad, he thinks, maybe my dad will at least make me one of his slaves or one of his servants. At the very least, maybe that can happen for me. And so he goes to the only place that he knows to go to. He returns home to his father. And this is where the story takes another twist. Not only did the father initially show the son grace and understanding by allowing him to leave, look at the response of the father when the son returns home. So he got up, the son, and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. A running father like this would have been, once again, something that is out of character for this context. A a, a father running would have been almost seen as, in a sense, immature or out of context. As I said, in this time period, you would approach a father. A father would not come running to you. And the father comes running for the son because, and this would have been considered to be an undignified act on the father's part. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's saying, Dad, I messed up. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. So he not only runs to the son, embraces him, holds him, kisses him. He then puts a robe on him and says, let's throw a party for him. That's because love has no boundaries. Love will always break the expectations. Love will come running for you and restore you even in your darkest moments. And some of you might be saying today, okay, this is a great fiction fairy tale from Jesus. But based off of where I'm at in life, I don't know if God would come running for me like that father did for his son because the father is a reflection of who God is in this story. And so you might be saying, I don't know if God would do that for me. And so as I was preparing my message this past week, I reached out to a friend of mine who comes to New Story. Some of you know him, Josh Regis. He's a great guy, a wonderful family with Tiffany, three wonderful daughters. And Josh found himself in a place 12 years ago, a dark and lonely place, a place that he found himself in because of his, as he admitted, his own decisions. And he experienced a similar restoration to what the son experienced in this story. Actually, I don't 
I don't need to tell you the entire story myself. Josh wrote up some of it and said that I could share it this morning. And I want to share with you a little bit of what he wrote down here. This was 12 years ago when he was 22 years old. He said, I was in bondage to my addiction to street drugs and prescription painkillers. I knew the Lord, but I hadn't come to a place of surrender and dependence on him. As things in my life began to turn for the worst, I think my prayer life began to get more real. As I cried out to God for deliverance, he actually listened to my plea and led me to a place called Teen Challenge. Josh goes on to share that he went out to California to this group called Teen Challenge and that some people surrounded him and began to show him the love of the Father. And he began to experience this restoration and this new life just as the son experienced in Luke chapter 15. Josh goes on to write, he said, at Teen Challenge, this was where Jesus Jesus showed up. His arms wide open, his thought towards me of of only great love and acceptance. My joy began to grow and my heart began to swell. God has not forgotten me. It was a moment and season of deliverance. I learned of the father's love towards his son. In a way, I was that son. If we only knew how much the father loves us, we would run to him and share everything with him. Don't forget about God. He hasn't forgotten about you. Amen. Yeah. And today, we as a church celebrate. Josh said to make sure to make this clear. He's not perfect, like all of us. None of us are perfect. Christ is still working in his life, but 12 years he has been sober from that addiction because he turned to the Father, and the Father embraced him and restored him. Some of us, when we end up in that spot, we think, oh, God would never want to do anything with someone like me. But if you find yourself turned to him, when you start walking towards him, you will find that he has always been running towards you. When you turn your face him as the sun did and you walk towards him and you, and you maybe feel shame and disgrace and guilt and you start walking towards him, you will find that the Father has always been running to you. And the good news that we have today is that we can know he's running towards us because he did that in Christ Jesus. In sending his very son for us, Jesus said, I am the way. I came to make a way for you. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus came for every single one of us and he is running to you today. So just as the father ran to the son and restored the son, if you find yourself in a spot like the son was in today, know this to be true, that the father is running towards you and desires to restore you. Then there's the second son, the religious son. The religious son. This is the complaining guy, the comparison guy, the jealous guy, the one who thinks he knows everything. You see, if you go back in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables in Luke 15. But right before he tells the parables, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus is talking to a group of sinners and tax collectors. But then he also lets us know that there are some Pharisees and religious leaders close by. And so I believe that through the younger son, Jesus is reaching out to the sinners and tax collectors and saying, hey, people in society say that you're nothing, you're horrible, you're less than human. Hey, if you turn to me just as the younger son did, you can have restoration. But I believe in the older son, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious ones. They have it all put together on the outside. But on the inside, they're missing out on an intimate, close relationship with the Father. The Pharisees are that person 
Maybe you find yourself being that person. The older son is that person who's been in church for 20 or 30 years. They teach all of the Bible studies. They give to church. They know all of the scriptures. They seem so godly on the outside. When they come to church, they are blessed and highly favored and have a great joyful face on. But then outside of church, their friends, their family, and their coworkers can't stand being around them. They know a lot about God, but they don't really know the heart of God. They know a lot about the Father, but they don't genuinely know the Father. That's where we find the older son today. He knows a lot about the father. He'd been working for the father for a long time. He never left and rebelled. But he comes in from working in the field and sees that the father has thrown a party for the younger son. And look at his response. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, look, dad. For so many years, I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Look at this. But when this son of yours, he can't even refer to him as his brother. He looks at the guy who came back who was his brother and looks at his father and says, this son of yours who came back, who has delivered your wealth, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. This is, this, is, this is the heart of religion. I've been around, I've done all the good stuff, but you know what? I want to make the rules of who can and can't come in. Religion is suffocating. We talked about this back in our uh, series of Ephesians, how religion creates hierarchies that separate, and the way of Jesus brings people together and unites. And I, I began wondering, I'm sure that the younger son ran away because of his own rebellious heart, but I wonder if he ever had moments where he thought to himself, the, the suffocation of my older brother, I'm out of here. I've had enough. Some of you today, you went on a rebellious track in life and you find yourself there right now and you walked away from God, you walked away from church because somebody misrepresented the father to you. My plea for you today is if somebody with a heart of religion, of anger and jealousy and comparison like this older son misrepresented who God is to you, my, my plea to you today would be start seeking God for yourself and don't allow somebody's misrepresentation of the Father to determine who he is for you because he is full of grace and truth and hope and love and he desires to restore you. But the older son thinks he's doing the right thing. He thinks he's, he thinks he's on the lookout. And so I want to spend just a few more minutes here talking about this religious son because I believe that in our current context here in the United States in 2021, within the church, we run a greater risk of becoming the religious son than we do the rebellious son. We run a greater risk of knowing a lot about God but not really reflecting his heart very well. I know I've been there before, and I imagine a number of you, have, number of you today or online have as well. And... This heart of religion can so easily creep in because it's pretty easy to be a Christian in the United States. Some, oh, it's getting harder. Okay, whatever. But if, compared to the rest of the world, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. And we start to become entitled. We start to become religious. We start to build walls. And so I'm going to go over three statements that a religious person might make that we kind of see in the older son. And you may not make these state statements verbatim, 
But if you find yourself saying things like this, or if you find yourself, you know, having a heart like this, you might be the religious older brother. You know, the Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck if. You might be a, the religious son if, fill in the blank. You might be the religious son if you find yourself saying something like this. I'm just trying to protect the church, okay? I'm just trying to protect the church. A lot of sin has come into the church, and I'm just on the lookout. I am just trying to protect the church. Okay. One disclaimer. If you're aware of somebody in the church who is a Christ follower and is hurting other people, and they've been confronted for hurting other people, and they're not repenting, then yes, you need to let people know they're hurting other people. But if you are complaining about people who are coming into the church because they don't look the way you think they should look and they're not acting the way you think they should act. You're saying, I'm just trying to protect the church. That's what the older son was doing. Dad, 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 we got to protect what we have here. Dad, you're going to give him the fattened calf after he squandered all of your wealth? Dad, we need to protect what we have. Dad, you're really going to let this younger son come back? Dad, how could you do this? We need to build up some walls. We need to protect this thing. God doesn't need you to defend him. He's, he's perfectly fine defending himself. He doesn't need you to build up walls, and, and, and we have been called to extend the same grace to others that has been extended to us. Every single one of us starts at the same place. People who've been marked with the image of God, but have been then marked by sin, who are in need of a Savior. Every single one of us. So this, I'm just trying to protect the church because all these people are coming in and, you know, sorry, God can defend himself. We are called to love people and bring them to Jesus, not to build up walls. Secondly, well, I'm just playing it safe. I've heard this from a lot of people. We're just playing it safe, okay? We are playing it safe. We can't, Dad, we can't just let this son come back home. We can't just let him come back home. He was hanging out with prostitutes, Dad. We need to play it safe. Who knows who he met when he was out there? And he could bring them into our home? You don't want those kind of people in our home, do you, Dad? We need to play it safe. We must play it safe in our home. And so a lot of times, and I, and I started thinking about this one as well. A lot of times when people are playing it safe or they're just trying to protect the church, they're really just trying to protect themselves. That's what the son was doing. He wasn't, he wasn't actually concerned about the dad. He was probably more so concerned about, well, if this son comes back, what if dad gives him some of my inheritance again? Is what, what if he gives him even more? A lot of times people are saying, I'm just trying to defend the church. I'm just trying to look out for others. They're really just looking out for themselves because they're uncomfortable. Then I'm just playing it safe. I'm just playing it safe. Dad, we got to play it safe. We have to play it safe, Dad. We have to play it safe. Because this son of yours, he squandered everything. He left early. He embarrassed you, Dad. We have to play it safe. So I was thinking about this, and I thought, what about the cross of Jesus Christ communicates playing it safe? <laughs> what about Jesus being beaten and bruised and, and isolated and pushed away and rejected and giving all of his life with no guarantee of a return from anybody else, what about that communicates safe and playing it safe? I went to thesaurus.com this past week. Faith and safe are not synonymous terms. They are not synonymous terms. We are not called to play it safe. We are called to live in risk. We are called to live in the unknown. We are called to lay down our life for the sake of others, even when it's inconvenient, even when it doesn't make sense. And if you think, oh, I'm just playing it safe, that is a heart of religion. That is not a heart of faith. We aren't just to play it safe. Then lastly, we hear this in the older son. I deserve, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, whatever you think you deserve. I deserve, dad, 
I deserve a fattened calf, Dad. You've never done this for me before. I deserve a fattened calf. Why would you give a fattened calf to the younger son, Dad, and not to me? I deserve a party, Dad. I deserve it. I deserve something. I've been here all this time, Dad. I deserve something. This is a very dangerous place for us to find ourselves in. As soon as we start saying, I deserve fill in the blank, what we start to do is instead of seeing God as the one who gives us amazing gifts, we start seeing ourselves as a gift to God. Instead of understanding that he has given us every gift in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1.3, we start to see ourselves as a gift to him, as if we've done something special. Newsflash, we actually really don't deserve anything. And then on top of that, what you think you deserve pales in comparison to what he desires to give you. What you think you deserve in your own limited focus, it pales in comparison to what he desires to give you. What you think you need, what you think you deserve, it, when, when it matches up to what he desires to give you and what he wants to give you, it pales. But we become so focused on what we think we deserve, we miss out on everything that he's given us and that he wants to give us. We see this in Luke 15. Look at what the father says to the son. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. You want a party, son? Everything I have is yours. You're so focused on this little party. But everything that I have is yours. You're missing out. Everything that I have is yours. A religious perspective will become so fixated on one little thing that you think you deserve. And God is looking at you and saying, I've given you everything. I've given you everything. All that he has is yours. It's available to you. Then he says, but we had to celebrate. He says, we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. We have to celebrate because life has been found. He has found new life. We have been, we have been called and commissioned to celebrate when people discover and find new life. Not build up walls and say, oh, I don't think that person, I don't think they, you know, I don't think they should be in. No, the, the church should be a space where people can come and explore who they are and who Christ has called them and created them to be. And that we can see that the Father is running towards every single one of us and saying, all that I have is yours and I love you. You see, the message of this story is that you can have life today. You can have life today. Just as the younger son was lost and has been found and now has new life, you can have that life today. Because some of us today, you might find yourself in the spot of the rebellious son, where you feel as if you're completely disgraced, filled with shame, and you wonder, is there redemption in reach for me? And the father is running to you, to give you new life today. And some of you, you've found yourself in the place of the religious son. If you were to allow God to search your heart and he would speak to you and, and you would allow him to, to speak that into your life, you'll find yourself in that spot. And when you're the religious son, it's scary to admit that at first. It's scary to admit that because you have everything perfect on the outside. Everything looks good go to church, you read your devotions, you know, you know, you, you know all the script, you're, you're doing everything right on the outside. 
and to admit that you might have some flaws and need to be worked on and might need some help to be vulnerable in that way, that's scary. That's almost even scarier at times than being the rebellious son. But just as the father came running towards the younger son, he reached out to the older son with a gentle spirit as well. He didn't chastise him. That's what I love about what he did with the older son. He didn't look at him and say, you're just not seeing the vision. He didn't look at him and say, you're just not getting it. He looked at the older son and responded to him with the same amount of grace and understanding and a desire for restoration that he did with the younger son as well. I'm going to invite the band forward in this time to close us out. Um, but in this, I want us to have a time of prayer here in just a moment. And I want you to hear this very clearly, that whether you find yourself in a spot of the rebellious son or the religious son, I want you to hear that the running father is running to you. He's ran to you in Christ Jesus. And he desires to forgive you, to restore you, and to bring you into the celebration of new life, where that which is lost has now been found. And wherever you find yourself today, all you have to do is call out to him and he will begin the restoration process within your life.